by Grabthar's hammer, have we got news for you. <laughs> I see what you did there. Indeed. Well, Darren and myself, Mark A. Altman, the Trexperts, minus one, are uh, going to the American Cinematheque for the best of the fest this Sunday, the 27th at three o'clock for a very special screening of what some people call their favorite Star Trek film of all time. It's not ours, but it, not we ours, love it. We love it. We love we it. We love it. And of course, we're talking about none other than Galaxy Quest. We love this film very much. And we're going to talk about it and uh, introduce a, 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 a beautiful, uh, I don't know if we're showing a print or a DCP, but whatever it is, it's beautiful. It's yes. going to be fantastic. We've never seen anything like it. <laughs> on the giant arrow movie screen. Look, we love the American Cinematheque. I'm a member of the Cinematheque. Uh, I think it's great. They're showing some amazing films as part of this festival. We're thrilled and delighted that they have the uh, Trexperts coming. And we hope you'll be there as well for this very special screening of Galaxy Quest on Sunday, July 27th at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica. Featuring the Questperts. Yes, for, for that very night, we will only be the Questperts. We will no longer be the Trexperts. We will be the Questperts. Questperts. That's what happens when you activate the Omega-13, Darren. That's right. Turns the Trexperts into the Questperts. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, we hope to see you there this Sunday, July 27th at 3 p.m. At the Never Arrow give Theater. up. Never surrender. And for more details, go to AmericanCinematech.com. And if you can't spell Cinematech, just Google it. Yeehaw! The Trexperts Inglorious Live <laughs> Tour continues this summer as we head to Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas for another great Galaxy Con. Right, Darren? The home of Steve Austin. No, it's not the home of Steve Austin. It's the home of fun and galaxy goodness. We're going to go galaxy hopping. We're hopping galaxies. <laughs> and uh, we're not the only ones who are hopping galaxies. Angel himself, David Boreanaz, is going to be there. Andy Serkis, the chameleon. Maybe he'll break free. Maybe he'll be able to escape from Austin by the, the end of the weekend. Uh, Charlie Cox, the daredevil himself, Vincent D'Onofrio. Ming-Na Wen, the wonderful, luminous Ming-Na Wen, star of uh, Book of Boba Fett, is going to be there. Stephen Amell. Let's see if he fails this city. And uh, <laughs> many more, including such Trek luminaries as Bill Shatner, Walter Koenig, LeVar Burton, Jonathan Frakes, Gates McFadden, Armin Sherman, the great and luminous Terry Farrell, Will Wheaton, and many more, including our good friend Terry Metalis, the showrunner of Star Trek Picard Season 3, and uh, everybody's favorite, Giancarlo Esposito. We all love Giancarlo, so more that is stars pretty cool. And they're in, in the sky. I know more stars than there are in the in the galaxy. In fact, at GalaxyCon, so we're going to be thrilled to be there. The Trexperts will be moderating another couple of fantastic panels. We hope you'll join us. It's always a great time at GalaxyCon. You can find out more at GalaxyCon.com. That's GalaxyCon.com, and join us in Austin, Texas, September first through September third, uh, and uh, it'll be a great Labor Day. We'll Love's labor lost. See you there, partner. Yeah. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And if you haven't already made the trek, it's time to join us on our Kickstarter. Um, the Trexperts are getting ready to go to all the great Star Trek locations around the globe and perhaps around the galaxy. We and are we'll boldly, be boldly going. 
not just, you know, weekly going. It's both. Indeed, it is, Darren. And we've announced some wonderful people will be taking the trek with us. Uh, just recently, uh, the, the lovely and talented Terry Farrell. You know her as Dax from Deep Space Nine. She's going to be joining the trek. And uh, when we head up uh, old uh, Star Trek Five way, Trona Peaks, uh, Cynthia Gao is on board, uh, Caitlin Dar, to uh, uh, mediate galactic peace between the, the three of us. Because, you know, Darren and Ashley and I don't always get along, but when we have someone to mediate galactic peace, we're in a much better place. I suppose that's Klingon for yippee. <laughs> and there are some spectacular backer rewards, everything from challenge coins to pins to a chance to uh, actually join us on the podcast, as well as Ernie the Vasquez Rock. And that's my favorite. So I think you should hop on that right away. And if you want to support our Kickstarter, you can go to makethetrek.com. That's makethetrek.com today and uh, grow stronger through the sharing. You'll be glad you did. We look forward to you joining us on this incredible adventure. Join us. Hey, this is Mark Altman of Inglorious Trek Experts in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78, available now by subscribing at trekspertsplus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. By your command, here's a sneak peek. He's a different kind of hero. And if you put it in the context of when this show was, this show was at its peak at the the late 50s, that's sort of the peak of cowboys and Indians on TV. And kids played cowboys and Indians all the time. It's before the 1960s, so you didn't have monster kids yet. You didn't have sci-fi kids yet. It was all about Westerns and playing cowboys and Indians. And that's why Disneyland has a whole frontier section for that very same reason. He wasn't Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett. No, he's different. <laughs> because, he's, right, Scott, he's quoting Shakespeare and Dickens. Right. I mean, it's more Star Trek II. Right. Uh, you know, he's so erudite. Um and one of the one of the great episodes, I know Doug Drexler talks about this a lot, is Molly McGuire, I think, I, I'm, I'm where um, he he gets robbed, and so he he needs to he has no money, no anything, and he gets a job working for this woman, uh, you know, on her ranch, and uh, she just she doesn't know who he is, and he, but he can cook and he can clean, and she thinks he's amazing, but then she notices the calluses on his hand, and she know and she hates violence because her husband was killed because of in a gunfight. But, you know, ultimately, like, he starts, he goes to our library and starts quoting all these books, and she just can't believe this guy. Like, he, he is, a, he is a truly a renaissance man. Yeah. And that's why there's that Spock quality, and there's also the McCoy hatred of injustice, and, um, and, and it's, it's amazing, isn't it, uh, when you say Scott? Yeah, one of the Roddenberry episodes, one of the first ones that Roddenberry wrote for the show, has him kind of, like, rolling up on this, on this, uh, uh, fort right on the frontier with the, with the various tribes and he rolls up with some Indian friends and they're all ready to start shooting and the way he just he comes down and like handles it and he's like I'm going to be very nice I'm going to talk to everybody I'm going to and he, I think he throws out some quotes to the to the to the uh, guys at the fort but then whenever it's clear that no one's going to listen he, he turns and the Indians are like alright we trust Paladin we don't trust them and they all bail yeah. and then that whole episode has him with this crooked uh, fort commander tracking down Indian gold. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, you'll see him dropping dropping a good quote to this. And, that. and what struck me also about it is Paladin is very much, no, this is the law. These They have a right to their gold. And it brought to mind all the prime directive issues. Oh, exactly. totally. Yeah. yeah. He's, and, not just, he's not just a, a gunfighter. He's a fixer. He's a problem solver. Yeah. 
So subscribe today at TrexpressPlus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck 78. Fire the rockets. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. This is Darren Docterman. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the inglorious Trexperts. And I got one thing to say to you, Darren. Yeah. Viva Las <laughs> Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Man, yes. this is unsettling. Um, Let the memories of Las Vegas Las remain Vegas. memories. Like uh, tears in the, like tears the rain. Okay, don't start on the Rio. You know, can I tell you something? So I get, I don't know if this counts as violating guild rules, but creation sent out an email to people and said, well, we understand some people had problems with the Rio. Um, we'd love to hear what the issues were, if you don't mind emailing us with, um, you know, your thoughts. So I immediately dropped everything I was doing <laughs> and proceeded to write a harshly, worded letter missive talking about what a miserable experience the Rio was this year. Um, I mean, and it left, it left so much damage in its wake. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, people with COVID people, I got sick. Thankfully I didn't get COVID like so many other people we know. Um, it was such an off. Now I'm not saying the convention, the convention actually was quite it, good. Yeah, it's year. interesting. The convention was pretty good. Yeah, yeah convention but it, was good. It, the, that which encapsulated the convention was not. That's it right. Was, it was so aw I should read you the letter. I wonder if I have it here. I just went on and on. I mean, and just talking about. It was I, a good I mean, letter. I uh, I read it out loud to my wife just because it amused me. <laughs> to amuse. Your to captain amuse my captain. And your gallant crew. But um, it, it, I mean. It, it was like mold, and I mean, when I turned this, the thing, the fill, uh, the fixture on the sink, it like fell off. And I know in Terry Farrell's room, apparently, that that when you sat on the sofa, the sofa broke. They had to fix the sofa. Um, she was telling us about that, and um, you know, the three of the four elevators were broken the whole time. Yeah. So it's no wonder everyone got sick because you were like, as they say, ass to elbows with everyone's in the elevator. It was it was it was so awful, and I, I mean it was like a COVID superstorm. It's like uh, it was crazy, but uh, so I was I was in bed. You know I didn't even know I'd be able to do this this program, but I, I've been feeling better the last couple of days. But uh, I was in bed, so I got to tell you, I'm not a big you know I'm looking at like what what am I going to watch? What am I going to watch? I'm not feeling well. What's going to cheer me up? I'm not a big fan of musicals generally, so I ended up. You know, I love Singing in the Rain because Singing in the Rain is one of my favorite movies of all time. But right. I generally don't like musicals. But I thought, okay, I'm tired and uh, not feeling well. And so, you know, musicals tend to cheer one up. So I'm going to watch. I watched Once More with Feeling again, and it was so good. So good. I, I, I You know, my favorite episode of Buffy, fantastic. And then, you know, what I watched, which was a great episode of Star Trek, about people who are telling you who, who's – the visage is, is dropping and we're learning about who they are, the characters, the naked time. I haven't watched it in a long time. It's great. I mean, but not the naked now. 
No, 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 not that they no. can now. No, 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 you no. learn a variety of pleasuring techniques. But I, I, I watched the, the Naked Time, which I haven't watched in a long time. I remember as a kid, I used to hate the fact that Spock cried. But um, Oh, no, it's uh, the best part. Yeah, I know. But that's what I'm yeah. saying. As a kid, I didn't like it. You were young. Sarek is standing there and throwing the ball at him and going, what, you going to cry? You going to cry? You going to cry? Little, little, I know that's all people do in modern Star Trek. But um, but it was um, it's such a good episode and such a great way to use this disease as a way to come to understand the characters so early in their development and the fact that Captain Kirk loves his ship and that Spock is suppressing all this emotion and that uh, I, I love uh, you know, Sulu. There's such a great line Kirk has. Uh, somebody uh, um, take... Uh, <laughs> D'Artagnan down to... D'Artagnan down to sickbay. I mean, that's... I love... I just love the writing. I love the writing, and it's oh. just... And, and, of course, you know, when Sulu first comes on the bridge, he grabs Uhura and says, ah, fair maiden. And, of course, she says, uh, thank you, neither. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, it, it's really, you see more, everyone getting something to do, yeah. right? And, and oh, it's when, when Riley is singing Take Me Home Again, Kathleen, and he says, one more time, and Shatner just goes, please, no. I mean, it's so funny. And uh, it, it's, it's such good writing. You know, John D.F. Black, we lost him a couple of years ago. And obviously, Gene, you know, did a, a pretty heavy rewrite on it. But it's just a great concept and, and great execution. And I just I just love that episode so much. Well, I've heard that Star Trek show is pretty good. So you're, you recommend it? <laughs> yes, I really recommend the original series. It's pretty damn terrific. But I, I know why people are listening to this episode. They want to know. They want to know. Did, were there any scooter incidents this year in Vegas? You know, <laughs> I, I got to say, I'm really touched by the concern that the fans, our, our listeners have. Um, so many people said, be careful. Uh, you know, so many people came up to the booth, said, you know, we hope you didn't have any any run-ins with a nasty scooter. <laughs> I, 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 I found I did one. See, the- I did see a couple times a laser sight uh, aim on your shin, and I, I just nudged you out of the way. So, They're yeah. locking targets. Yeah. They're locking on targets. <laughs> you know okay. what, though? I just want to say on your behalf, and, and I want to address this to all the fans out there who uh, find themselves on scooters at these conventions, particularly at Creation Con. Look, I get it. Mobility is a thing as we advance in, in age, um, and sometimes it's it's important to have a little assistance, and that's great. But regardless, the thing that was really um, unsettling, and I have to say, I think I was hyper-conscious of it because of what happened to you two years ago, is there were a lot of people who are riding around on these very heavy scooters. And these yeah. are not, you know, this is not Callista Flockhart on these things, right? Um, and, and they are going at running speeds. They all act like everyone else needs to get out of their way. Exactly. And it's a real safety issue. Yeah, and like it's, it's the Grand Prix. It's incredibly discourteous. And if you're out there and you're one of our fans and you're listening to this and I am describing you, I want you to I want you to think about your life choices. And next time make better ones. I swear I saw this empty scooter and I wanted to just take take a giant pipe and smash it to bits. Go it full like, office space said, on it. <laughs> I wanted to go full office space. I mean I wanted to go full William Wyndham on it. I wanted to just take a <laughs> shelter right down its throat and destroy it. It, I mean, I have to tell you, you know, people say, oh, well, is Altman suffering from rampant paranoia? Well, not about this. Because he doesn't I suffer feel, from it. He enjoys it. 
I, I feel like, I mean, I, my vigilance saved Terry Farrell from getting run over by a scooter. I'm like, they, you know, there was coming up fast behind us. And I'm like, Terry, get out of the way. And I pulled her out of the way. So, uh, no. I, and then you <laughs> dove in slow motion. And like there's you know, a fireball and because, you know, it's a good thing we had the other Dax symbiote there. We could have put the symbiote into <laughs> Nicole DeBoer had she been hit by a scooter. But I would prefer that that not be the case, that we just, you know, save her from any kind of terrible motor scoop scooter incident. Oh, motor but, scooper. Yeah, but I am very appreciative <laughs> of our fans who have been, you know, just so concerned about my. Uh, my well-being. And, and look, obviously, there are people who are handicapped who really need these mobility devices. Look, I get that. I, I totally Absolutely. understand. I would never begrudge anybody that. But, um, you know, most of these people were just people who were too lazy to walk. And I could tell. And they were going, oh. as Ashley said, way too fast. Yeah. And unacceptable. Unacceptable. You know, and, and uh, it was dangerous. I mean, there were a couple of times where I felt like you know, we were in the line of fire, so to speak. Yeah, no, no, no. But uh, it was a great time. We had, a, we, you know, thanks to Darren and, and our friends at uh, at uh, Creation, Gary and Adam, who are so wonderful to us. Um, we had a booth there this year and uh, met so many wonderful people, so many fans of the podcast. I can't even begin to mention you all who came by. Uh, it was great to see um, our good uh, um uh, pr our producer um, Peter Holmstrom was signing his new book, mm -hmm. The Center Seat, and this is the first his first book he ever had published, and he was able to sign it. it I think it meant so much to him, and uh, and uh, I was so happy to see him sort of bask in the accolades, you know, uh, the the next generation, so to speak. And um, <laughs> of course, we had Hazel Honeysuckle with us, who will be joining us on to boldly go our our Kickstarter, in which we will uh, be funding a. Uh, a film that will take the Trexperts and Terry Farrell and a bunch of other special guests to the great Star Trek locations where we'll explore not only locations, but the making of these great episodes and movies as well. And Hazel was having just a terrific time. Every day she was in a different costume. Yeah. Girl of a thousand faces. No. Like Mission Impossible. But she was like Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah. It was like, it was like a, a Mission Impossible Peter. of all Barbara Baines. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's but if Barbara story. Bain played a Klingon one day and yeah. a Vulcan another day, I'm and sure a she did another day. I'm sure she did in private. I didn't even know who the hell she was when she finally showed up looking like her, like herself. I was, I was confused. Of course, we were very lucky to have the Tipton brothers join us. Tipton brothers who wrote all those great IDW comics, including the adaptation of Harlan's original City on the Edge of Forever, and they were signing some of their comic books. They they um. Uh, they were signing as well and joined us for our uh, panel, Have Phaser Will Travel, which you can listen to on Deck 78 next week. So if you're a, um, if you're a Subtractors Plus subscriber, you can listen to that episode exclusively on Deck 78. And I hope you'll check it out because it was a really good panel. Yeah, it was a great panel. Yeah. Well, it was a, it's it was exclusive a, if you weren't in the audience at yeah. Las Vegas. Then anybody well, could have seen it. Well, anybody. but then, then you can hear it again. Yeah, you're gonna be new to you last time. Yeah, and 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 enjoy it because maybe you were so awestruck that you weren't able to focus on everything. No doubt, you know that's because, how I was. <laughs> Me too. Or maybe you were so irate that the previous panel went over by ten minutes and cut into our time. We paid for this microphone. Oh, and, it's worse uh, than that. It's yeah, worse it, than that. The um, I, I can't believe we haven't ranted about this before. 
But the the panel that preceded us was uh, it was about intellectual property laws in the 23rd century and how all of that might work. And they had a uh, an image, and this is burned into my brain. We're standing backstage, we're watching this this panel happen, and we're looking at their presentation from behind the the screen. screen. From behind the screen. So it's backwards. We're watching it. And Darren just keeps leaning and leaning and leaning and pointing and pointing and pointing until the moment that I thought he was going to tip over, he goes, that's my enterprise. That's my (laughs) phase two enterprise. So the irony of all this is. They stole the background image. The IP law panel stole the background image from Darren and then stole Uh, his time. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was a double theft. Was it? That's right. Of our <laughs> it was hearts. a double dumbass on us. <laughs> so you could say it was double indemnity. Of course, so, you so. could say that. Uh-huh. Plus, meanwhile, what a boring panel they had. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> now, now, we're we're going to be nice, except for to you guys who, uh, you know. Okay. Stole. Well, now yeah. look. I know everybody what they really want. They really want the restaurant reviews, but we're going to wait on that because we have a whole. Great panel from uh, the 57-year mission. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the restaurants. And I think uh, we got some other things to bring you up to speed on. But uh, it was a really great panel that we had uh, returning. With, you know, We had Terry Metalis was back. And he brought along his co-EP, uh, Christopher Monfett, who we have not had on the show before. And I know what you're thinking. Boy, Terry's been on the show a lot. What, what could you possibly have left to talk to him about? Well, that's Everything. kind of what we were thinking, too. So, um, you know, I think part of the challenge was like, what aspect of making Picard season three hadn't we really been able to dive into? And I think we, we, we proceeded in a really interesting area of exploration, which was what was the writer's room like? What did Terry go into this knowing of the story he was going to tell and how much came out of the group mind? The, the writer's room. And it was particularly appropriate given the fact that right now we're in the midst of the writer's strike. And of course, how did Christopher find out about it? His collaborator on 12 Monkeys, who also has done many shows like 911 and 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 some of the other shows that he's done. Um, but it, it was really interesting to see how that developed. And in the course of that, we learned about an episode that sort of never saw the light of a projector bulb, which was interesting. This whole episode that they didn't do, that they didn't have the real estate for. So I think it's a really interesting panel and some great questions as well from the audience. So kudos to you, audience. Um, it means we don't have to work as hard, too. That's that's nice. Um, but what, what do you think of that panel, Darren? Well, I thought it was great. I, you know, like you said, uh, I was wondering what more we could uh, get out of uh, poor Terry Metalis. Uh, we've asked him almost everything else, uh, but uh, it was uh, it was good. We got some uh, new wrinkles out of the story. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that I really liked Christopher Monfett, Ashley, didn't you? Oh, yeah. No, no. He seemed like he's, A, just a really smart writer, and B, exactly the kind of person that you'd want as your number two, right? It's like he was very obviously into Terry's vibe um, and very obviously understood the job, which is, help the boss do the impossible thing um, by giving him things that he doesn't have and doesn't know that he wants until he sees them. And it was like, it was just, it was such an interesting dynamic to see that play out uh, in the panel itself. I haven't even seen something like that play out in many of our um, our many uh, writer's room panels that we do at, uh, at Comic-Con. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, as uh, Terry's number one, we really should have made him sit down in the chair and see if he put his leg over the chair in 
traditional number one form if he did that right. Because then he truly would have been the appropriate number Mark, one for real you gotta, life. You gotta is have the legs Star for Trek. It. Real life oh. is not Star Trek. Real life is not Star Trek. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, 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 are you yeah. really? The foot oh. is a game. <laughs> oh my God. I just, why are you telling me this? You're breaking Someone my heart. Had Someone had to. Oh my God. You're, You're about to retire. You're about to retire from Inglorious Tricksworths. You need to know. I know people wonder why these introductions go on so long. It's because I, I'm I, in a few weeks I'll be gone. And it's like, I'm just, I can't, I can't stop talking because I'm going to be gone. And I just, it's going to be over. And, and then I just we'll feel like send I need our regards to, to Captain Dunsell. Oh, I thought to Broad Street. <laughs> Have you heard any of those, uh, any of those Beatles AI songs? Oh God. No. Okay. I don't trust them AI. Okay. Unless it's Steven Spielberg's AI. Janos Kaminsky? No, no, Steve Melching was oh, the one who loved that. Not, oh, not yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so okay. look, uh, we're, we're thrilled. To, it's a great panel at the uh, Star Trek uh, 57-year mission convention in Vegas, where we were joined by Terry Metalis and Christopher Monfett. And uh, we'll take you there right now. And we'll be back afterwards with a few words. Hey, guys. Welcome to Inglorious Treksports Live. We're going to be introducing some great guests today to talk about Picard season three and the future. Thank you. We're all going to spend the rest of our lives. And now I'm thrilled to bring out, oh, uh, we, we've never interviewed him before, and I'm so glad to have the, the co-EP on, uh, he's been a, a writer producer on such shows as uh, 911, not Rescue 911, just 911. It didn't have Shatner but it was still, still done well for itself. And of course, um, 12 Monkeys, and he is now uh, the co-EP on uh, Star Trek Picard season three, Christopher Monfett. Christopher, come on out. And last and certainly not least, I think one of the great things about doing the podcast is over the years, we've met so many great people, talents, um, uh, friends that we've, we, we've made, and I'm just such a huge fan of this next person's work. Um, we really uh, came back to feature him on the podcast again and again uh, because we just felt so much love. We wanted to celebrate the love, much like the Ewoks, of uh, Star Trek Picard Season 3, and I am referring, of course, to showrunner and executive producer Terry Metalis. Look, I got this like little podium. I like this podium. Last year we had these little chairs and they were very uncomfortable. So I want to ask, I'm going to start with Terry. Obviously, when you were putting together the writer's room, it's a bit like Chris in The Magnificent Seven, where you got to go and recruit these different gunmen to go into the village to save the village, right? So you, you want to have somebody who's good with a knife, somebody who's good with a gun, you know, somebody who's fast talking. How, how, tell us about putting together that writer's room when you knew you were doing the third season and what it was going to be, that it was going to be a continuation or uh, of uh, Next Gen. Right. Um, What's well, exactly like you said. Chris and I talk about it all the time is uh, different writers have different superpowers. And so you want to put together your, your, uh, your Avengers in that way. Um, you always need people who can generate great stories, 
that are great in the room, being like, what if this, what if that happens? But sometimes you need a very specific writer, a very key, like, you know, um, I, I think about in Picard season three, um, Cindy Appel was, is really great with the humor and is a Star Trek fan. Um, and, uh, or Chris is, uh, has, uh, um, a flair for um, colorful dialogue. In fact, colorful metaphors, colorful metaphors as well. Um, but uh, even Shaw's first scene is is chock full of of Chris writing as he sort of uh, you know deliciously tears apart Picard and Riker. Um, Picard season three was a little different because we had no time to put that room together. Um, we were also doing season two at the exact same time. Uh, and so it was like quick, you know, put up the bad signal and get everybody. And I, w I was lucky to have Chris uh, for all of it, but we also were able to bring on Sean Tretto from the show 12 Monkeys as well. And, uh, and that was a big help because there's a shorthand when you work with writers. Chris and I can get to um, a place quicker about what might work in the story because we know each other, we've known each other for so long. Yeah, he could be like, what about it's the, you know, it's Raiders, Act 3. No, it's this, that, the other thing. So that's extremely yeah. important. And it is, that shorthand is so important in the room because you can shoot down an idea. You don't have to go through that whole, that's really interesting, but this is why I think maybe it's, you can say, that's terrible, let's move on, you know, or, okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, you try not to say that. Do you try not to say that sucks? <laughs> Um, I, I don't, you know, but there, you do have to shoot down ideas fast, um, because time is money. So the longer you're going down, uh, uh say, uh, jump in at any point. Um, but like the long, the longer you're going down a scenario that doesn't work and you know, in your gut, like, I don't think this is going to work. You got to give it a minute because I've been convinced. Chris has convinced me of things like, first I'll be like, what the are you talking about? No, we're not doing that. A time-traveling city? That's insane. Get out of here. <laughs> and then you think about it, and you're like, no, actually, that's the, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Um, so you do need to give it a minute. Yeah. Um, no, but you do sometimes, um, if you're like, you know, it's two, three hours. There was a time in, in season three where we actually broke a whole other episode. Um, with uh, In the middle of the season, we... we uh, we had an episode in which Seven of Nine, and you know the story better than I do, because um, you, you lived through it, where Seven of Nine, uh, they're on the run with the Titan, and, and Seven of Nine needed some help, so she went to like her old pirate, you know, the, the Fenris Rangers. But we, we, so we, the idea, the pitch was Space Tortuga. Like, what is like the pirate's world of, of Star Trek? And she was going to run into um, uh, Naomi Wildman, the young girl from Voyager, who had now grown up and followed in her footsteps and had become a ranger and become a little bit more of a pirate, but as a more extreme version of Seven of Nine. And it was a really interesting character story. And if we ever were to bring back Seven of Nine, and I think we'd want to do it. But it wasn't right. Yeah. Like, it, it really needed to be Geordi. Um and we were going to get to Jordy and do it as well. It just, it just wasn't, it wasn't quite working. But we went down, like, I don't know. How long was it? A week? Two weeks? Oh, yeah. We were down that rabbit hole for a while. Yeah. Um, but that's, like, where that shorthand comes into play. Because, obviously, making a series like, like Picard in season three especially is such a gargantuan task. 
and Terry's superpower of sort of knowing how to play the orchestra and put together um, sort of a great sort of Avengers team of people extends beyond the writers to the crew, to the cast, to sort of handpicking each component that's going to sort of... So Terry isn't always in the room. And so having that shorthand of being able to sort of sit around a table and those of us who've worked with him long enough and know him best can kind of say, okay, I don't think that's sort of his road. Let's, let's, let's circle back this way um, and kind of avoid those sort of like days spent going down the wrong path. You know, Chris, you totally made me feel old. Because of course I should have used the Avengers analogy, but I went to the Magnificent Seven and dating myself. And if I'd said the Avengers, everyone would have known what I was talking about. Okay, <laughs> so when, when Terry first came to you and said, look, we're, we're doing Star Trek season, let's focus on three, because that's Correct. the continuation of Next Gen. And we're, we're basically going to do the Nemesis Apology Tour, which hit my words, not his. Um, what were your feelings about that? I mean, you're a big Star Trek fan. I mean, it must have been really exciting. You've worked together on a lot of things, but this was, you knew this was something special, and also there was a lot at stake. There were a lot of people who care and who were going to let you know what they thought. Well, it's interesting because the conversation really started a year earlier with season two. Um, you know, I came on board with season two when, when Terry came. And, you know, at first, the, the, that feeling of intimidation extends to, oh, not only do I now get to go and work and I have to sort of do justice to this thing that I grew up loving um, and contribute to it in the best, most meaningful way possible, uh, I have to do that for this, this iconic character of Captain Picard, who is now slightly reinvented in this new iteration. So there's a big burden that comes just with that. Um, but then after a year of doing that, when the conversation becomes, now you have to take all of the people who defined your childhood, because TNG was very much a part of um, me and, and sort of my nerddom growing up. Um, it becomes exponentially more terrifying and humbling and exciting. It is a weird cocktail of emotion. Do you think if the series had been 13 episodes or 16 episodes, that pirate episode would have seen the light of Without question, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because it, 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 it was a great character piece for Seven of Nine. Yeah. Terry, I mentioned having to recruit these writers, but the other thing you had to do was you had to sell, get buy-in from all the actors. And what was that like? Because also, again, uh, you know, everyone wants to be on board creatively. They have a lot more clout than they did back in Next Generation, where it's say the lines and don't bump into the furniture. And if they didn't like that, they'd be kicked off the show by Rick. This is different. You have to convince them this is going to be something special. This, this is worth coming back for, that you're going to treat their characters with respect. They're all going to have something substantial to do. What was that process like of roping everyone in? You know, there was so much goodwill from everybody, uh, specifically in the Next Gen cast. The idea of them all doing this one last time was, uh, you know, the easiest sell, uh, which was delightful. Um, and, you know, I think the, the most important part is we had ideas for where, where all these characters would be, but we wanted, we wanted them to have authorship as well. They, again, like, you know, Gates and LeVar and Jonathan, they've been at conventions like these talking about their characters for decades, you know. So if they're not 100% comfortable with where their character is going to be, then it's not, like, we don't, we never wanted that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but the good news is uh, it, 
everybody everybody was uh, uh, fully engaged in and ready to do it. I mean, I think the toughest one, uh, not because it wasn't on board, but was to figure out how to do it right was data. Because I, the first thing I called Brent, I was like, Brent, well, we're not, we're not doing another Zoom. I, I don't want to see another Zoom again for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I go, it, it feels wrong to, to have a next-gen reunion without data playing a part of it. And he was like, well, I'm dead and I'm old and we, you're not going to spend CGI. I'm like, but why can't there be an old data? Like, I felt like that was always... Uh, a possibility that that character, it, it was kind of, even in um, All Good Things, he gets the little, the, the streak because he, it feels like he felt like it gave him age and distinction. So um, he was like, well, how would that be? I'm like, well, what if there is an android body that is designed to look older and whatnot? And then he started to lean, like, lean into the possibility of it all. Um, but we went down the road for a little bit of, does the character get a new name? And I think Datum was the was the character we, the name we kind of started to do, but, but in our heart we're just it's data. You changed with, it to data with data, very <laughs> data. And then finally, and the, so my final pitch was going to be to Brent. Let's just let's just call him Data. Uh, but he beat me to the punch. He called me. He's like, "Look, I'm driving around. He's just Data." I'm, I'm like, "100 percent, yeah." <laughs> so, uh, but that was it. You know, um, early on it was Patrick. You know, it was. He'd just done two seasons of the show. Um, we, seasons two and three were being done at the same time, which is insane. Um, and so... During COVID. In the middle of COVID. Uh, so you're already exhausted by doing one season of television. And you're rolling... The next day, you're starting this other entirely different story. Um, and, uh, you know, it, and it, it was a departure from... From, again, we're doing two at the same time. Three, we're like, it, we all felt like everything needed to, to, we needed to mix it up and go back to space and do it all that. So it was a minute to to sit creatively with him and be like, here's here's what we're doing. It's going to feel like Star Trek, but also elevated serialized television in a way that's different uh, than uh, Next Gen, which you know I think would scare the hell out of us in the room uh, a lot, which we could talk about. Too. I have a I have a generic question. Um, you you may have uh, already answered it in in what you've been saying, but when you first learned that you were going to have complete control over season three, and you decided on the direction that you did, I'm sure there were a bunch of hurdles that were in front of you that you had to get by. What was the worst of them, and how did you do it? That I could talk about. Yes. <laughs> uh, the hardest thing was because we, we shot it back to back. Chris, you should jump in here. <laughs> you, 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 were, you were a part of season two. Um, we had, and because of COVID, we had, uh, by the time they had officially said, all right, Terry, go run with what you want to do in season three, we had burned about 10 weeks of prep on it. Mm. So we only had 10 weeks to conceive People are like, 10 weeks, that's a lot. It's nothing because you have to conceive, break. Ashley, you know. I am. Um, but also, if if you're shooting in 10 weeks, that means in four weeks, you need, for prep, you need three scripts. Mm-hmm. So we were breaking story very fast, very hard. That was not just, 
another season of television for us. It was the most important season of everything, anything we'd ever done. We were bringing back our heroes. Uh, so the pressure of that was extraordinary. I, th I, think, I think in some ways that the, the sort of accelerated pace and the pressure allowed us to sort of just, again, it goes back to that shorthand, blaze through. You know, we, like, we just knew what we had to get done. We buckled down. We did it. It was, it was a best idea wins. You couldn't right. sort of linger too long in any one particular thought process. And, you know, if something felt right, then that was the decision. And we'd put sort of one foot in front of the other. And but when you have 10 weeks, you can't spend time on what are we going to order for lunch, which is usually two hours in the room, <laughs> yeah. and then having the conversation about, oh, how was the show run on your last show? Oh, God, let me tell you. All that stuff, all those conversations go away because you have to focus on the job but, at the end. But for me, and the, and, the, and the pressure's harder on Chris, is I have to jump out to still deal with shit on season two. Mm -hmm. um, and because we're doing an entirely different season, we're going to build more Starship sets. So Without even in, having the scripts, you didn't know what you were going to build. Yeah, so I'm, I have to lead. I have to be like, it's this, this, and this is what I think it is. Go work on that. Then Chris um, has to steer the room. Uh, and so when I come back, which is, I, this is a terrible thing, uh, is they, they then have to pitch to me what they've heard. And... I don't have a poker face. So they'll know within 10 seconds if it's working or not. Um, and that's got to be... I mean, so I remember... I mean, I remember doing that for other showrunners. It's really, it's, it's really hard. Because Sometimes literally it was the, even it's before like, the words what if would get out of our mouth as you would tell where this is going. Well, you could see on the board. You'd be like, like the worst thing is a showrunner comes back to see what everybody's been doing and they see some idea on the board and, and the first thing... They're like, they'll say, don't look at the board. Let us pitch it. But you're going to look at the whiteboard. <laughs> and it says, data sets ship on fire. And you're like, what is that? Just wait. <laughs> just wait. No, just go to that. What, what do you mean? We can't do that. Um, it's hard. How it, much, when you started the room, had you figured out? Did you have the broad strokes? Did you just have the beginning of the season? What, what did you have kind of roughly figured out when you got the group mind going on it? Uh... I, I definitely had the the arc. I I knew, um, you know, I knew that uh, it was going to be them getting in the Enterprise D in episode uh, at the end of episode nine, and that the last hour of it would be them. I, I knew that it was going to be uh, uh, Jack and the Borg. I knew it was the Changelings. I knew the Nebula story with the space babies. It was all part of my initial pitch to get people going. Mm -hmm. So there was a sort of a rough, here, here it is. I knew there was a villain, a larger-than-life sort of con-esque villain that wanted to make a woman, right? Um, and Seven of Nine. I knew a lot of, the, a, a lot of those things, but it, all the discovery is in the room, like the real who these characters are. Like the hard part is like, what makes Jack tick? But um, in the context of, of doing all of that, you guys, and look, with almost no time to do it and having, you know, your broad outlines for your season, um, the things that you guys figured out for some of the characters and not just the main cast, you guys were really taking some chances um, with, I think, how fans perceive Star Trek lore. For example, the Vulcan crime lord, who I love. <laughs> Kirk Acevedo. Uh, yes, exactly, yes. who is also brilliant on, uh, on Fringe. Uh, love that guy. And um, 
Also, we're supposed to say 12 Monkeys, too. That's right. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> yeah, so you mentioned the show you worked on. Yeah, 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 yeah well, of course. Yeah, he, he was you know, pretty good on Look, I'm a narcissist. Yeah. Um, I think you killed and, him off, and, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we killed uh, him off. In fact, I there. actually personally killed him off. <laughs> uh, was, you know what? I'd do it again. Um, no, I, it, Worf's background, how Worf changed. You know, uh, online, there were fans who were ready to just pillory everything. Because oh, They saw the trailer in, yeah. in, in one of the lines in the trailer was, you should know, I now prefer pacifism to, uh, to, combat. to combat. And then Riker says, we're all going to die. But he's got a fucking giant sword on his back. <laughs> but people were losing their mind. They ruined Worf. Worf is woke now. And you're like... Guys, uh, he's his introduction, his first 10 seconds, he's going to cut somebody's head off. But, like, people don't... But peacefully. Yeah. Peacefully. peacefully. In the but name of peace. Well-intended. So what... Which, and then, by the way, there were people really mad that he cut somebody's head off. I wasn't... They were like, that, so that's just what we're doing now. We're not finding new ways around violence in the 25th century. I'm like, this gangster was part of killing how many hundreds of people in this, in this terrorist attack. Um, anyway, it, you, it, you can't win. Um, so you have to stop trying to win. So what chances did you not... No win scenario. What did you say? This is going to be too much. People will flip out. It'll never work. Or maybe you did try it and it just didn't work on the page. Like, what did we miss in the 13-episode uh, version of the season? I, I, looking back, I mean, thinking about it now, I don't feel like... I don't think we ever went too far down a road where, you know, you were like, you know, what if Picard is a serial killer this season? Like, you know, it, it, it was all just finding natural, organic ways to bring the characters back into the story uh, in a way where they felt familiar, that they felt like these are the people you know and you love. They've just experienced more life and have processed more things. Um, you know, because I don't think anybody ever really changes, right? Like, we don't become entirely different people over 10, 20, 30 years. We become variations on who we are. And so I think when we sat down as a group, it was always in the sense of what would these characters have experienced and how would that have changed them without necessarily saying, well, let's just do something crazy and make them into people that are virtually unrecognizable. That was after they got rid of uh, the Gorgon played by, um, from uh, Melvin Ch Bellai. Chalid, Mar Melvin Bellai. It was originally going to be the big bad, but then they figured, let's go with the right. Borg. That instead. would have been amazing. It's like, like people want him back. <laughs> so, so that was great timing, sir. That was awesome. Let, let, let me ask you, you know, because we have the great Mike and Denise Akuda in the audience, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, you, you know, as much as you were realized television had evolved in the last 30 years and these characters had evolved, they, you know, a lot of people wanted them to be chiseled in amber. It's like they don't want them to be different. It's like, but obviously time had gone by, but yet... You remain tethered in the best of ways to the original show. Production design, um, uh, 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 costumes, graphics, all that. And you, you put together, uh, okay, I'll say the Avengers of art departments because I can't say the Dirty Dozen because nobody knows what I'm talking about. So you had Mike and Denise and, 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 and Doug Drexler and all these great legends of the past uh, Star Trek iterations who came back. And that's why it just feels like the DNA of Star Trek is in its bones. Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. You know, uh, I, was, uh, I was shocked when there, there had been so much Star Trek without them, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, and when I came aboard, well, uh, we, I hired Dave for season two. 
uh, and in the job interview, the first thing I said is, we need to bring everyone back. I go, this needs to feel like that again. And he was already, I mean, he was fans. He's had Mike and Denise's books and Doug Drexler and John Eve's drawings in his bedroom, you know what I mean? And posters above his, you know, uh, his bed. So he was 100% on board. Um, I, you know, it's interesting that I get credited for that. Again, it, it just seems like you make a grilled cheese sandwich with bread and cheese and you grill it. Well, it was a homecoming. What, why would you not put cheese in the grilled cheese sandwich? <laughs> you know, so that uh, cheese it tastes it, good. And, the and reason. honestly, and we're lucky that they said yes. You know what? Um, I, I, we're, you know, because they had all, they're all working on other projects, you know. People and Apple work. pays a lot more than Paramount. Absolutely <laughs> does. Yes, they do. The um, reason for that was that there were previous productions that absolutely said no previous Star Trek people. I, I don't get that. Me either. But it happened. I was there. I, I, yeah, no, I, I, I've heard those stories. Uh, I heard that story, and I ain't no band leader. I, well, I, I guess... I'm, I'm trying to, I think the spirit of that might have been, we need to freshen this up and make it feel sure. different. But you can still utilize the same people and say that. I can call Mike Akuda and be like, hey, I want to do an L Cars, and I haven't said this, but a little different. I want to advance it. I want more angles in it. And he'll be like, okay, let me look at that. Because that, he's a fucking pro. So I don't know why that, that would be. In that, secure, that would insecurity, be. Insecurity, maybe? Um, what'd you say? Insecurity, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. It's, 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 it's not the choice I would make. Chris, obviously, um, Terry brought back the incredible music of Star Trek, the legacy of Star Trek. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith, James Horner, even Leonard Rosenman, um, all these great composers who worked on Star Trek, these beautiful themes. Um, did you listen to that music when you were writing? Do you, what, what do you listen to when you're writing? Like, did you use it to sort of capture the moment for you when you're... It's interesting that personally, I can't listen to anything when I write. I, I mean, I know writers who are like, I can turn death metal up to 11 and write a great scene. And I'm, I'm very much like, I go in a cave, I start typing. No Starbucks um, for you. But I will say that, you know, no one is in, I mean, literally no one aside from, you know, Stephen Burton, our composer, Frederick as well, like is more in love with music and Star Trek music, especially than Terry. So I think we all kind of understood uh, and, and would go back and we would listen to those tracks to sort of absorb and understand the sentiment and the vibe and the feeling that we were trying to lay over the entire season. But I, I rarely, if ever, would do it while I was writing. Terry, we're all big fans of physical media here, obviously. And, um, you know, we've seen lately on streaming platforms how quickly things can disappear. People in this room Crazy. are all too well aware of this. So you have an incredible Blu-ray. Unfortunately, they haven't announced the 4K yet, but incredible Blu-ray coming out uh, in September. Um, can you tell us a bit, because I know part of the fun is when you're done, is being able to put the bonus features together. Because you know, the hard work is done, and now it's like, oh, here's all this great stuff that maybe we couldn't include for a variety of reasons, and it's a chance to look back and do your commentary and everything. What, what can people expect from the Blu-ray that's coming out? Well, the first thing I need to say is we're in the middle of a writer's strike and an actor's strike, yeah. so I can't, I'm in no way promoting uh, Don't buy any of these things. <laughs> but if you were asking me 
about the bonus features, they were very important to me because I love amazing bonus features on a Blu-ray. Um, and we and there is quite a bit. Uh, I made sure all the writers uh, played a part of it. Um, I know that they did extra interviews with uh, actors um, and production personnel. There's some. Uh, there is uh, the final scene. Uh, if anyone has seen Picard season three, is a poker game. Spoiler alert. Has anyone here seen it? No. Spoiler yeah. alert. It's pretty uh, good. Check it out. Uh, so, uh, and the, uh, I wanted it to feel different than obviously the last poker game we saw with all good things where it was kind of very stiff and they're, they're doing their thing and he comes in and, and says this thing. I wanted it to feel like they've done this hundreds of times now. And I wanted to leave the audience feeling what it's like to hang around the cast of Next Gen because they are truly amazing they're, they're great friends, all of them. So I just let the camera run uh, for 45 minutes um, going around that table just so I can get natural laughter. Like, so in that, there's, there's a few, there's like a whole minute of them basically improving and being themselves and the smiles are genuine. Um, and so that's what, I, that's what I wanted. So on the Blu-ray, I think you're going to get a lot more of, you'll see more of that poker game. By the way, I'm so glad that Terry brought up the writer's skill strike. Just so you know, the restrictions that we have in the WGA are very different than SAG. As you know from finding out what the actors' favorite colors are, they can't talk about any, any show that they've worked on. In the writer's guild, we can't talk at the behest of a studio, but we can talk about things we've worked on as long as it's not in an official capacity. So, Chris... Um, and, and, and Terry and obviously Ashley and I, we can talk about things we've worked on. We just can't um, do it at the behest of a, a studio. I can talk about anything. Anything. <laughs> Dar ask Darren. It's like I read it. Ask him anything. So, um, Chris, what for you personally as a fan was ultimately the most fun part of this whole process for you you know obviously it was very hard it was brutal i mean 10 weeks to break that's a 10 episode season is insane um or to get ready for product beginning production but um what what ultimately for you is most rewarding about this when you look back well it, I, I you're right in the sense that it was such a sort of a, a speed race you know that that there wasn't a lot of time to sort of stop and look around and really like take it in the way you might normally want to do. And the sort of one personal anecdote that I can say is when we were wrapping up work on 12 Monkeys, uh, I remember, you know, we had been up in Toronto for quite a long time. We were tired. We'd, we'd done two seasons back to back. Um, I had finished my last day uh, in this big, lovely time machine room set, uh, did the last shot, grabbed my bag, got in the transpo van, I was headed back to the hotel before it hit me that I'm never going to see that set again. And that has sat with me that I never took a moment to appreciate it. So I think when we got to everything on the Enterprise D uh, in, the, in those last couple of days of filming, um, it was really important to me to like show up and enjoy this. Um, because it's not just... What was that like? Right, like, it's like, <laughs> you're, you're not just working, it is above and beyond working on uh, Star Trek. You are working in a meticulously designed recreation 
of the set that defined your childhood. And so it was really important to me for as tired as we were, as, as good as we wanted to make it, to, to show up every day, to sit on that set, soak it in, soak in those people, the wonderful actors, my family of writers and producers and crew, uh, and, and just appreciate it as much as you could. And Terry, you're joking, but you're not, because of course the writing is done by the time you get to nine and 10 for the most part, but you're directing the two, you're cutting episodes, you're in post, um, there's so much going on that requires your attention, including the fact that you're directing basically a movie. So, yeah, I know. I'm sorry about the PTSD. Um, but uh, so when Chris says he was able to enjoy being on the bridge of the D and soak it all in and look back at what you've all accomplished, this was not your life at the moment. No, <laughs> it's not in my life. Uh, you know, the question I get the most is, what was it like? to be on the bridge of the Enterprise D with your childhood heroes and they're all there and you're directing and you're writing. And I'm like, it was horrible. It was, <laughs> it was uh, not horrible because of any of the people. We only had two days. Uh, normally for the, uh, the amount of scenes, you'd have a week to shoot on that. We only had two days because it was so ambitious what we were doing. They're like, that's it. So I had to get all these scenes in and they'd be good. And they were pivotal scenes where they have to come on and emote and have this, this like, uh, uh, reunion and say, we're going to go out for the last battle. Um, and we can only get one or two takes of everything. And you're like, if I screw this moment up, I have ruined Star Trek The Next Generation for everybody. Yeah, you'd be the new Stuart Baird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Um, uh, Too so, soon? So, uh, so, no, so... And, and, you know, and, and so Chris will come on and he'll be like, this is amazing. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. You having fun? <laughs> yeah? Did you go punch the little computer? You're just like so stressed out. Uh, um, but there are little moments that are amazing. Well, I want to throw to questions in a few minutes because I know people are going to have questions they want to ask you. But I got to ask you, since you talk about being on the bridge, directing this cast that you grew up on, um, did you have them as action figures as a kid? Did you, did you used to play Star Trek? Uh, yes, in fact, actually, one of the first little home movies. Oh, this is terrible. No, no. One of the first we'll little. We'll keep it in the room. Nobody. One of the has first little this. home movies is my best friend had got like a got a camcorder when we were like, oh, you can make videos, and we we literally had like Picard, uh, uh, Picard and Data action figures, and we had there was a there was a toy line called Boglins. Do you remember Boglins? They were a puppet, rubber puppet monster thing. And so we had that chasing Picard and eating data and shit. We, that was our little Star Trek movie that we made. But the Please. great thing is the Bobbits never said, I won't say that line. Right? No, by the way, excellent. Uh, Please excellent. tell me that you used your action figures to come up with your shot list. <laughs> Sadly, I don't own them anymore. Well, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's do a few questions because I know that I'm sure there are some questions for Chris and Terry. Um, go to the microphone, and uh, you can ask. Uh, ask and away. gain strength from the sharing. <laughs> Whether you have a question or not, just go to the microphone. That's right, sir. You get up. You go. Yeah. And don't be afraid. Hey, Anthony, get off your phone and Fear go ask blanket. a good question. Come on. Look at him. Trek movie, ladies and gentlemen, right here. <laughs> That's right, Anthony. Bored. Doing the Lord's work. <laughs> the Lord's work. One of the characters who got uh, probably the biggest leap in coolness and capability was Beverly Crusher. 
Uh, can you give your thoughts behind that and uh, maybe what Gates' reaction would be when she heard she was going to become a badass? She, she can't talk about it, so maybe you could clue us in. Uh, no, absolutely. So uh, we, knew, we knew Picard's son was going to be um, uh, from uh, Beverly. Uh, it was uh, an idea that, that stemmed between a conversation between me and Patrick. It was actually Patrick who was like, I think the fans would really love that it's Beverly. We never thought Patrick would go for it. Um, so then you have to ask yourself, how is it different than Wrath of Khan? Um, Kirk already knew about David. So it seemed clear that Picard could not know about this kid. So how does that make sense with the Beverly Crusher that we know from Star Trek The Next Generation? Um, so we had to sort of dissect the character, take a look at how Picard treated children in Next Gen, and how in his sort of views on family, see how she would receive that. Think about who she is as a mother who has said goodbye to her son, Wesley. That it's, it's a loss that's never discussed or talked about. Like moms don't just be like, see you later. And then they go off into space and then never talk about their kid again. Um, and so that represented trauma. So the more we talked about it, it made sense that she'd be like, you know what, I want to protect this kid from the world of, uh, of Starfleet. Uh, so then we went to her. And it, the most unexpected way to find Beverly Crusher would be not as the doctor in Starfleet, captain of a ship that we knew. It, we we like the idea of like, she's on the frontier. She's on the hacienda with a shotgun protecting her kin. It would be so unexpected. So we talked about that with Bridget. Gates was like, yes, I want to kick ass. I've never got to kick ass. Finally, I get to kick ass. Um, the criticism of it, I think, for some fans were like, they were immediately put off by seeing her with a gun, which I get as a hardcore fan, but it, it wasn't necessarily a celebration of violence, you know, and turning She's her into an action herself. hero. It was She's like, this is a desperate woman um, defending somebody that she just locked in that door. Um, but she was so invested in it and, and lovely to collaborate with in every way. She gets to be Sarah Connor. Yeah. yeah. And I never said this to you, the needle drop is great in that scene too. The song that you... Oh, the opening song, yeah. yeah. That, I think that's you, right? Uh, it's the ink blot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the ink spots, rather. Terry and I have worked on many things and we've always tried to get an ink spot song in there, yeah. so... Yeah, no, no. That's, that's sorry. And, you know, Gates has been saying for 30 years at these conventions, oh, you never got to see... Dr. Crusher is a mother, even though she, you know, the whole premise is that she's the mother of Wesley. And you leaned into that in a big way. And it's no wonder that, you know, she can't stop singing your praises because you delivered. Same way Frakes is always talking about how he finally got to be funny, which is something he wanted to do for 30 and years. And we had Gates as a resource as well. I mean, that, that's the other side of that coin is we had them all as a resource in a really unique way that you don't get on other shows to be able to talk about what do you? What from your life experience would you want to see reflected in your character's, you know, journey in the thirty years since we've last seen them? And a lot of that made it into the show. They had a lot of time to think about it. Okay, we only have time for a few more questions. Yes, sir. Why wouldn't anyone think Beverly was was a badass? She she blew up a Borg a Borg ship with a sun, right? <laughs> so of course you would. Now, um, I know there was a um, a big affinity for having the original Enterprise D set as it was like painstakingly recreated. But uh, where was the decision made to instead of having just the same 
backlit okudograms that we all know and love, uh, but changing that to a completely digital displays instead, which looked gorgeous, by the way. I loved how they animated. But where was... Well, I, I think Michael's probably best suited to answer this. I, I, I think some of them are backlit, right? Yes, some of them are, are in fact, backlit and, um, and uh, designed in a way to look how it was backlit back in the 90s, meaning there was sort of a fade-off around them. So we actually had to downgrade some of the panels to make it look like how it did in the 90s. Because the ops and then like all. as far as the as going digital when it comes on, that was really the idea of like, what would it look like for the Enterprise D bridge to turn on? What would it look like to animate the L cars? And um, and it's still, it's one of my favorite shots is the is that raking shot of it going boop, 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 boop. It looks amazing. That's and what that, it looks like. And that's Mike. <laughs> and, and, and so it, the, the, the question to, 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 to Mike was, I. What, what in your mind would it be like if those L cars did animate because he's the author of the L cars um, and how would you do it? And so that, again, that's the only authentic way, I think, to, to do that. Well, you totally fetishize all that because the entire closing credits are a love letter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. it's true. Okay, next question, Bill. Yeah, you said uh, remarkably for a 10-week lead time, you really had the story arc laid out, but but were there surprises along the way? Was there something oh, way along that you had no idea you were going to do by the time? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, Shaw, Captain Shaw, was a, was was a thing we did, we came up with in the room. Uh, we had you, know, you jump in. I've been talking. Uh, yeah, no, we we knew pretty early on that you know you couldn't just have Picard and Riker walk onto the Titan and just be told yes immediately. And so, you know, we kind of knew, okay, well, there's going to need to be a proper captain for that ship and a blocking character in some ways for the two of them. And who would he be? And the more we started talking about it, because we had worked with Todd Stashwick on 12 Monkeys and love him. He's just part of the family. Um, we immediately had a template for, you know, we, we started talking. Yeah, we called Captain Stashwick. We were like, okay, so Captain Stashwick. And he says, no. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, go ahead. No, and so, you know, once you have that building block, the rest kind of follows, and you 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 work to Todd's strengths as an actor. And um, I think what we didn't necessarily expect is in the writing, we really found a depth to him um, that we continued to dig into throughout the season um, and, and build a really satisfying arc that maybe wasn't there, say, day one, but we did discover it as we went. When did you realize with that character you wanted to lean into the quint of it all? Because obviously she's named Shaw, Robert Shaw played Quentin Jaws. Everyone is a big Jaws fan. And well, that came from setting up the Borg. You know, we knew we wanted to keep the Borg alive so that by the time you got to it, you're like, of course it's the Borg. Um, like, if you had not had any references to the Borg all season and then you dropped the Borg, it really would have not. But, like, keeping the, that, that was a major part of, of Starfleet alive, that led to... This Shaw being at the Battle of Wolf 359, and that's why he hated Picard. We have uh, time for, I think, two more questions. Two more questions? Great. And, and as we ask you, I just want to say to everyone who's been listening to the podcast, thank you for being supporting Inglorious Trexperts. If you haven't, there's some great interviews with Terry, hopefully many more with Chris as well. So I hope you'll join us wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, a big thank you to Gary and Adam for having us here. It's always fun to be here in Vegas with you guys. So now, last two questions. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, Terry, in, episode, in uh, season three of Picard, 
not a lot or very little was made of Jean-Luc Picard being, spoilers, an android. Uh, what? what was, sorry, yeah, he, he was an android. Um, what was your reasoning was in um, not making more of that? Was it just a matter of time or story arc? or? Well, uh, it, I, I, in my mind, uh, I, I wasn't part of season one. And in, in at the end, they say he's basically it's him. You know, it it is it it is funny. Um, while I understand it, uh, there is such a there's a lot of Picard's a robot. He's a robot. It's like yeah, but, you know, this AI brain into AI like uh, 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 uploads has has been around in sci-fi for for some time. Um, but at the same time, I didn't want to see beep, beep, boop, pop, pop, Picard where he Mr. can plug Mr. in and do stuff. I, no, I don't think anybody really wanted to see that. So in my mind, he's more of a flesh and blood android as close to human as possible. Um, but He's more human than human? But we found a really unique way to include it as part of the story, which is that his real body was out there and that was going to become a component to the mystery. Um, and that became intriguing uh, to us. He's seen things you people wouldn't believe. Yes. Um, next question. Yes. Hard strategy. Anyway. And I think this is going to have to be the last question because we don't want to be those people who go over and make everyone crazy. So I'll but... try to be quick. <laughs> Hi. Um, quick question. Did you know from the get when you signed on that you were going to bring in the Dominion War and the Changelings, or is that something that you like really wanted to bring in? Uh, not when I came on for season two, but uh, for season three, uh, uh, there was, uh, they're the perfect villains. They look just like anybody. It's your opportunity for incredible drama to, to do a paranoia thriller. Um, and so it seemed like a slam dunk for, for them to come back. And again, I would say, like you asked the 13 episode question, uh, boy, we wish we could have included some Deep Space Nine characters. We had, we really wanted Kira, Bashir. We wanted all of them, and they certainly would have been a part. But at the same time, you have to make this decision that this is a next-generation show. Um, so you have to choose, do you, can you do get Kira, or do you do Ro Laren, which is this incredible dangling Chad that you that, that should should be... So I was always surprised she never made it in any of the feature films. Well, hopefully there's always legacy to see these characters again. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, thank you, you guys so much. Thank happen. you to Terry and Chris. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. And I hope you'll join us on Sunday. We're going to with the influence of Have Gun Will Travel on Star Trek. And go to makethetrek.com and learn about our new project. You know, the other thing I really loved about Once More with Feeling was how it <laughs> illuminates the characters. What's so interesting, even though it's a musical, it's not just about the musical numbers. It's about telling us about who these characters are, and it advances the story. Are you guys Buffy fans at all? I'm a Buffy fan. Yeah. Or at least um, I was until it went to um, wherever the hell it moved to, to UPN. Yeah, but even if you're not a fan of that season, I mean, didn't you love Once More a Feeling? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's not my favorite episode, but I think it's actually a great episode, and I think it's actually like, uh, it, was, it was a great and sort of original conceit at the time. Yeah. To do something like that. Okay. It sounds to I, me, I, not so. having seen it and not being a, a, a watcher of Buffy, it sounds to me like it was a waste of time and a, <laughs> a, a buster of canon. <laughs> that, what was great about it is it was neither. But anyway, okay. now, now let's talk about something very serious. And um, 
apologies to Dr. Ken. Dr. Ken, you know we love you. You know we appreciate everything you've done for us on this podcast. Oh, but I got I to gotta tell you, Dr. Ken, you really dropped the ball on this one. Dr. Ken, who longtime listeners know, last year joined us in Vegas. Uh, he came, he was Canada for a medical convention. He bought, brought with him a wonderful uh, maple whiskey that he gave to the Trexpers to show his uh, appreciation for the podcast, which we imbibed and enjoyed immensely. It was Deeply lovely. A lovely gift and very thoughtful. Indeed. So in an attempt to to show how much uh, joy and pleasure we've given uh, him through the podcast over the last year, he decided an encore presentation. He had an even better Canadian whiskey that he was going to give us this year. Unfortunately, the the conventions didn't overlap. They they missed each other by a week. So Dr. Ken decided... And I, I want to point out, he did graduate med, med, medical school. So when I say in his infinite wisdom, uh, I do truly mean his infinite wisdom, um, to uh, leave the, the whiskey at the front desk of the Rio, which we've already established is a piece of shit hotel. Okay, so <laughs> worse, worse than that, he decides to let us know that he's left the whiskey by putting it in a tweet, or now an X, I guess it's called. Um <laughs> And uh, announces to the world and Darren that there is a bottle of Canadian maple whiskey at the front desk. This was a week before the convention. Yeah. Way before any of us were at the Rio. Uh, But there were other people at the Rio. Is it concealed in a box like the Medusa ambassador? No, it is not. (laughs) It is literally a, a vat of alcohol that has been left at the Rio one of Vegas's worst is hotels. And, <laughs> and it has been announced to the entire world that it is there waiting for Darren. Okay, so now this is not like the, the end of the sixth sense. This will come as no surprise to anyone. Um, when Darren arrived, there was no whiskey. No whiskey. There was nothing. There was no whiskey, no vaccine, and no, Lieutenant Yar oh, was there. No, take that back. <laughs> no, actually, Lieutenant Yar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she had a pad. She had a booth. Now it's too bad we can't hire Daniel Craig to solve this vexing mystery. Was it the uh, the the well, the, um, the concierge? Who, who could possibly have taken that <laughs> that royal maple whiskey? <laughs> we, we do not know if did Doctor Ken in fact leave the maple whiskey or set us up to fail. No, we know he did. <laughs> And he feels terrible about it. But next year, put it in a box and just send a private message to us that yeah. no one is privy to this. Market poison. But By like, the way, there's the free whiskey and- behind the desk at the Rio. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, he won't be able to do that next year because we will not be at the Rio next year. Oh, that's right. he won't. Even if the convention is... Now the convention will be there, but we will we will be at the convention, but we will not be staying at the Rio. Ew. Oh my God! I swear that I, the shower had paint peeling off this. I haven't been in a in a tenement like this since like college. I mean, it was it was I was a I was a Look, Kubrick's Overlook Hotel was better run than this. 
<laughs> I was waiting for Scatman Crothers to show up. <laughs> oh my God. It was you waiting for a long time, actually. Terrible. Okay. Well, look, let's 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 enough about all this. We thank you, Dr. Ken. We're only kidding. I hope you don't take it personal. We love you and we appreciate the gesture. No question. Indeed, we do. Dr. Yeah, Brian, but, however, would not have done something so stupid. No, just saying. Dr. That. Brian is way smarter. <laughs> my goodness. Anyway, so restaurants. Well, we had such a great time with Dr. Ken last year at Mr. Chow's. We decided we rarely like to go back to the same place twice, you know. Um, but in this case, Mr. Chow's was so good last year, so good. We had to go back. And this year, we tried something new thanks to Darren's brother, David. We actually ordered the Peking duck, did we not? We did. We did. You can have the duck. How can you expect to have the duck with a credit rating like this one? <laughs> I didn't love the duck. You, you didn't did? love the duck. It was great. I loved the duck. Did, didn't did love the little duck. Tiny little pancakes. More duck for me. Yeah. 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 Didn't love it. Um, now, I will say that I I found, uh, as much as I enjoyed Mr. Chow's last year, I enjoyed it even more this year. And I think it was largely because I had zero martinis with dinner. And so I could fully appreciate the hmm. experience of the food. It was uh, It was quite good. I think I liked it a little better last year. Okay. But, I mean, it was good. It was great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you know, I think I was really looking forward to it because it was so good last year that maybe, you know, and I wouldn't even say disappointment because I was not disappointed. The service was impeccable. Um, uh, you know, it was the company was delightful. The food was excellent. So, I mean, I really have nothing to complain about, but it wouldn't be me if I didn't complain. So um, <laughs> it was great. I, Mr. Charles was okay. great. It was great. Okay, fair enough. We established that. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, there was one thing at the Rio that was not horrifying. There was one thing at the Rio that was not horrifying. Do you remember what this was? The carne asada burrito that I ate that first night that nope. I didn't have to eat again for 24 hours? <laughs> it no, was not burrito. even an exaggeration. It was a full burro. <laughs> it was a full burro. Like, it was the actual, they brought the donkey out. They wrapped him in a tortilla, and I ate him. Okay, well, and, I was uh, not there that night. Because, what, was, uh, what was the favorite thing? Yeah. Well, the the Indian buffet was really good. Oh, but you were uh, complaining after that for I hours. ate too much, not because it was oh, good. But I just had okay. too much to eat. I thought it was I really see. good. Yeah, I thought I, it was great too. And I don't you like ate, you ate too much and you felt sick. That's right. I ate too much. And I well, the hotel had already made me sick, and then the, <laughs> and, and, and and then and then the, the buffet. I just ate too much, but it was good. I mean, it was good. It was. I I can't complain. So. um but you know, the, I think the highlight, clearly the highlight, though, of all our our, our meals, which we were shared with the great uh, Mike Broder and Nick from uh, GalaxyCon, which was great to have them with us. Although I think they'll never play. It. Forgive us for since telling them to stay at the Rio. Little did we know, um, oh was the uh, the Golden Steer. Now the Golden yeah. Steer was a very special experience because, of course, I guess it was uh, twenty. 23 years ago. 23 years ago for Robert Burnett's um, wedding, the rehearsal dinner uh, was held at the Golden Steer. It was one of his father, Dick Burnett's favorite restaurants in Vegas. And he knew we were all steak connoisseurs and he hosted a wonderful dinner at the Golden Steer. And uh, none of us had been back since then, since that fateful night. Um, and it was so wonderful to go back there and be able to... Um, Make a toast in memory of uh, the late great Dick Burnett, um, and uh, just enjoy a really great steak 
and uh, every everything there was just perfect. I thought yeah, uh, really well prepared. Yeah. Uh, the, Old school steakhouse. You walk in, they're playing Sinatra, Dean Martin. It just—it's exactly what you expect of a Vegas steakhouse before it got taken over by you know all the fancy schmancy chains and you know stuff like that. And I mean, as much as I, I absolutely adore like the steakhouse at the Win, I mean, this is old school. This is like old yeah. school Vegas. And you know, we got to have the company mall. of we got to have the company of the lovely Hazel Honeysuckle. Oh exactly. yeah. So that was she good. had what did she have? What did she have the veal? What did she have? She I, had like yeah, she had the no, she had the the I think she had the lamb and it was like oh she had the lamb, like, yeah. Like, the like lamb chops. Six freaking lamb chops. I mean, like there was more lamb chop there than Hazel. You know what Hazel I mean? Hazel had was, a little Hazel had a little, had a little lamb. lamb and a side of mint jelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it's amazing because I couldn't even tell you how the dessert was because we were so full we didn't even order dessert. Yeah, that's right. We closed that yeah. place out, man. We were the last people at the door, I think. We totally did. Oh, my gosh. I think they probably couldn't wait for us to be gone. We got <laughs> it. It was so noisy and crowded. By the time we left, it was, we were the last ones there. Yeah. 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 That was that was good. And and you would never know. It's just in this crappy little strip club. Um, no, strip mall. Strip mall. Strip mall. Strip mall. Strip mall. Strip mall. Strip club. Yeah. That's a completely <laughs> different thing that happens. A crappy little strip mall. Oh, my God. I forgot to tell you. So I was taking my car from... Uh, JSX to the hotel, right? And the woman who was driving, um, she's like, you know what the best pizza is? She was, I guess, in training because it was another person with her in the front seat. And they, she was like telling her, and she's like, you know what the best pizza place is? I said, no, please tell me what the best pizza place is. I, I would oh, really God. like to know. And she goes, she goes, round table pizza. I'm like, what? Uh, this is, you're joke, making a joke, right? This is a joke. She goes, no, well, you don't like it? I said, well, look, if you wanted the caveat of saying, it's the best um, chain pizza. I still wouldn't agree, but I would understand it. But it's like, have you like had pizza anywhere like, other than Las Vegas <laughs> strip mall or delivery? And, and she got so I, I, I upset that I would she gave question you one her, star. her pizza. Yeah. No, I wasn't taking an Uber. I had a car pick me oh, up. Okay. But uh, but um, it was she was so irate that um, that People I would question be. her pizza. People can be very afraid of change. I know, and it, but it was funny because the guy who was training her, he was like, "I used to run an Italian restaurant in New Jersey or something." This is why I love Vegas cat tag taxi drivers, car drivers. They all have a story, and um, he's like, "I had an Italian restaurant. Let me tell you, we made this pizza." And da, da, da. I said, "See, that sounds like a good." He talked yeah. about exactly how he made it, all the ingredients and what he did to make it special. I said, "See, I could promise you, without having even tasted it, that's a better pizza than round table pizza." <laughs> And she right, just couldn't, right. I couldn't, she couldn't believe that I would feel that way. It was, it was, it was crazy. And then on the way home, I got this guy and he's like, oh, Vegas isn't the same anymore. Everything's so expensive. I said, you know, isn't she so, so nice? I said, not at the Rio. She says, oh, was it not nice? I said, it's whatever the opposite of nice is, that was the Rio. And I said, so, so what part of New York are you from? He said, how'd you know? <laughs> like, he goes, he was from Brooklyn. Guess. He was from Brooklyn. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, Brooklyn boy. So, I mean, he was telling me about fighting in Vietnam and, uh, you know, coming to Vegas. And not like actually in the war. It was just he was no, in no, Vietnam no, no. and he was no, like no. going to a street he fight. To Vegas. With- he came to Vegas in 69 and then he enlisted and he had a whole story. In fact, by the time we got to the airport, I almost wish that we had more time. because He had all these great stories and I was just like, I was so fascinated by the, the, his stories. And he, he was so... 
if you'd had your recorder with you, we could have had an extra episode. I know. That's right. He's like, they're tearing down the Trump to make a baseball stadium. That's history. There's only one place that's left from the very beginning. This has been here since the beginning. Um, But it was (laughs) so fascinating. And I got to tell you, every time I go to Vegas, I always have a great taxi driver. I don't remember. I remember this one guy was saying, they're watching you with lasers. He was a nut. Not as nut as the person who said the roundhouse pizza is the best, but or round, sort of round table, round table, whatever. Roundhouse oh. is different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It knocks better. you. It knocks you on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the Indian buffet. Um, so okay. Well, listen. I, well, Sunday eat. night. You, you you forgot Sunday night where yeah, we had uh, another that, big that, meal, and yeah. it was it was nice because we had we had good company and every everyone was happy and uh and uh you know you just didn't like it as much that's fine cuz we ordered too much food and you saw we something all- you'd never seen before which was Ashley Miller in low energy mode oh, oh that's my god true. i thought ashley was seriously something was wrong i've never seen ashley ashley so mute he was like the mute marine he was so <laughs> quiet he had nothing to say and uh and it was so loud. It's like we had, we, and it was great because we had Terry with us because we're talking about the documentary and all the cool stuff we're going to do. And, uh, you know, Terry is just the best. And, um, Terry Farrell, not Terry Metalis. He's not the best. He's, he's not, the, he's, he's close <laughs> to the best, but he's not the best Terry. Terry's the best. The battle no, of the Terry's. It's like that movie, The Best of the Best. Terry Farrell's the best of the best. Terry <laughs> Farrell's the next best. To, uh, Terry Metalis is next best to the best or best okay. of the best too. So, awesome. um, yeah. So anyway, so we had we, we had a, we had been to car. You know, the reason we went to car mines is a, we were going to have Scott Mance with us, and right. uh, um, he we'd gone there a couple of years ago, and he liked car mines, and so I made it convenient for for, for him, and uh, and uh, also he, uh, he couldn't make it, and then he couldn't make it, and then Peter wanted to drive home, and he was you know we couldn't take him and his girlfriend because by the time we got there it was going to be much later, and. Um, and so we ended up, you know, it was Mike and and and, and Terry. It was it was really nice, but we ordered too much food. It was too loud, and I didn't think it was like amazing. It was okay. It was fine. It was it was fine, but not every meal could be great. Because then you have nothing to look forward to. Well, it was great. It was great thing. for me because I got to spend all dinner talking with Terry. So it was better for me than it was for you. Well, better I was talking you, to better for her, better for them. <laughs> I was talking to Ashley, but he wasn't talking back. That's why no, I thought he was, was he wrong. was the mute marine. Yeah, that's right. He was, I was in power conservation mode. I was just well. He was on a midnight flight to yeah, Georgia. Right. Yeah. By the way, that flight, I was asleep before we pulled away from the gate. Yeah. I woke up to flight attendants prepare for landing. It was nice. the fastest flight I've ever taken. Congratulations, guys! It was awesome. I believe that. Well, we're coming to your neck of the woods. We're we're heading to Austin, Texas, uh, yeah. in a few weeks to uh, for uh, Labor Day weekend for the great Galaxy Con Austin, which I can't wait. We're going to be reunited with so many great Star Trek stars and anime and wrestlers and all kinds of cool people. And we're going to be doing a bunch of panels and we're going to find all new restaurants. So it's going to be <laughs> awesome. It's uh, Austin. It's going to be Austin. Uh, it'll be Austin. We should call it Steve Austin. We're going to Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Galaxy Con, Steve Austin. A con barely alive. We can rebuild it. <laughs> oh, dear. How much is the pass? Six million dollars. That's right. But um only need one person to come to the con. See, they, they should they should have Lee Majors at the Austin at Austin. Or even they Lee should. Miners. <laughs> or Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
my which God. always confused me, by the way. Well, hopefully yeah. Steve Austin won't be stone cold for quite a few years. Yes. And that that was the best thing. I got going back, Nissy. Now I'm I'm free associating, but going back to, to <laughs> that, that that Rob Burnett Vegas costume wedding. Oh my! There goodness. were a lot of great things about that wedding, but my favorite was Steve Melching dressed as Steve Austin, the world's first bionic man. But he had like some kind of sound chip, and so the, whenever he had he the reached, red running suit on. The red running suit, and when he extended his arm, he he was goes, holding the wedding ring. He was presenting the wedding. Yeah, ring. Oh, that's right, that's right. He presented the wedding ring, and and it went. Doo, 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 doo. It was the best. <laughs> it was awesome. Ashley, this is before your time. I, you missed I'm out. I'm so sad. I missed it. And oh, uh, Mark was dressed ring. like Mengla Merciless. Okay, stop, stop. <laughs> we don't talk about that. I refuse. It was the one time I ever. Because it, it, I told the story about how it was a costume wedding. We all had to come in costume. And then Rob yeah. doesn't show up. After I drove him around for hours to find Rob a shows up and in he, a tux. And then he shows up in a tux. And I'm like, why did I take you around like all these? Yeah. But at least my my date was a Princess Aura. And she looked great. I, I was I was, I was was not. I was, uh, yeah, I was being the merciless. A long time ago. That was a long time ago. But that was fun. Different time. Darren, who are you? Were you Indiana Jones? No, I was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh yes, that's right. That's right. My favorite was the the Cone family came as the Cone heads, right? Yeah, and uh, and of course Yelena looked beautiful. She was a uh, um, uh, um, Jenny Auger in uh, yeah. Bogut's Run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a fun that was a fun time. That was the night we discovered the show Cheaters at two in the oh, morning. Oh my god, the, it was great. And of course, the, the Rio, Rio was a much better hotel back then. That was well, it would almost 20, have to be. <laughs> it's well, hard not to be. Remember, it, had, it only opened a, a couple of years earlier, and um, the Voodoo Lounge was hopping. That's where Rob had his yeah. um, his, his his party, the reception, not the the, the reception after the, uh, the, the the party after the reception. Because of course, the actual wedding ceremony was the sci-fi wedding chapel, right? With the with the glowing orb, uh, yeah, supervised beamed in Spock. Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, and then do you remember what they did? The, 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 their wedding vows were what their wedding vows were. The, it was the charm of making from Excalibur. Um, Excalibur. Yeah. Anal nathrach usfas bethod dokiel tienbe. Yeah. Ashley, those kids didn't last. <laughs> God. What? Ashley. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, Ashley. Even I wouldn't say something like that. What a dick. <laughs> Oh, wow. You know, the mind is a wild horse. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God, Mr. Head, you dick. Um. <laughs> it was a dream to some. A nightmare, a nightmare to, others. to others. Oh, man. Yeah, but, you know, I still wish uh, Yelena a happy birthday every year. Oh, yeah. during Absolutely. Comic-Con. She's great. She, she's great. She's great. Um, And then... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about this. Is the longest Ron. episode ever? Let's get out of here. The wraparounds are now okay. longer okay. than okay. what actually happens okay. in the episode. Okay, <laughs> you know the problem is they encourage us. They say, "Oh, you know, I'm bored we like at work, you hanging we around, like- talking." Yeah, yeah, and then we just do it, and then it's like, just shut up already, won't yeah. you? Please sit down. Um, okay, this was a pleasure. Thank you all for joining us. You know the deal. We're on social and glorious trek and glorious treks. We got a Kickstarter going on, make the trek.com. Please check it out. New backer rewards were just recently posted. Um, we're doing great. We're not there yet. We need your help. 
And uh, we're going to be in join Austin. Us, join us on Deck 78, uh, trexpertsplus.com. You can subscribe there. In case yep. you're sick of us talking on here. Yeah, right. You'd like to hear us talk elsewhere. Yeah, there you go. Okay, well, on behalf of uh, Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Dockerman, myself, Mark A. Altman, until next week when we bring you an all-new episode of Inglorious Trexperts, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course.